Turn to James chapter 1. We're on a new series for this summer. I don't know how long it's going to be on it, but uh, we'll be at least through July. And uh, on the book of James, and uh, uh, someone asked me, why are you doing the book of James? Well, there's a couple of reasons, but before I go into those reasons, you know, um, James was uh, written by James, who we think is a half-brother of Jesus. And uh, um, now, can you imagine growing up and having a perfect sibling? How many guys had brothers and sisters? I mean, could you imagine growing up, you're screwed up and he's not? And uh, he does everything right, and you do nothing. You can do nothing right. I mean, guys, that would be terrible. I have a twin sister. I can't even imagine how it would be growing up, and uh, I couldn't even understand that. Now, my twin sister, she understands that, but not me. Some of you will get that later, but anyway, um, um, in Acts chapter fifteen, Acts twenty-one, we see James here. And we find out in those those chapters, that James is a, also a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And, uh, and remember Acts 8, when Stephen was uh, persecuted, um, the church in Jer- Jerusalem were scattered. They scattered all through Judea and Samaria. And as a res- it was a result of persecution. And you hear that at the very beginning of James. James chapter 1, verse 1 says, a James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nation's greetings. And here's the picture here. It um, is predominantly written to Jewish Christians, probably um, most of them who had been associated in the church of Jerusalem. James kind of knew them. And they were walking in difficult times, and the difficult times was because of persecution. And that's what the passage is really all about here, is that he wrote James to these groups who were just having a hard time because of being persecuted. Now, they were persecuted, but there's a lot of things that are going on in persecution. You can... Um, you, can, you can get killed, and some of them had family members who had died, who had been persecuted that way. Some of them had been, been stoned, and uh, some of them had been um, uh, hurt. They had been uh, discriminated against. They couldn't have the jobs they once had, so they didn't have the money they once had. Um, a lot of things were going on like this, but they were scattered. And the reason they were scattered is because they were afraid uh, for their lives. And so that's the, the, the group that he's writing here for. Now, the reasons I'm, we're, I feel like the Spirit of God is just leading us into James at this point in the season of our church is really two, two reasons. The first is to examine the relationship between faith and works. On one hand, James refers to faith 14 different times in this book. And so we get this picture of faith over and over again. But then we have something else coming in here, and it's called obedience. And, uh, and works and faith all over the place. So out of the 108 verses in James, 59 of them have, there's 59 different commands. So about every two verses is a command in the book of James. And so what's, why, why this is important? Because we live in a day that when you start talking about works and you start talking about obedience um, or laws or commands in the Christian life, immediate people start calling, saying that you're legalistic and they run away from you. And, uh, but let me tell you this. There is no grace until there's obedience, without obedience. You can't have really the grace, the enablement of God without being obedient to Him and His Word. And so people say, don't talk about work, don't talk about um, doing this and doing that. And here comes James on the scene, he says, no, 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 there, there is a work to this. There is some works. And so James really brings us into really a balance in this and an understanding. And uh, in fact, in James chapter 2, he says, if you don't do anything, then you don't have faith. Your faith is dead. 
So we've got to be very careful when we think about it and the relationship between faith and works. And James is going to challenge us in this as we go through um, the summer, uh, most of the summer in the book of James. He's going to challenge us to understand that because you can't separate faith and works. They go together. They work together. And, uh, and so there's two purposes, to examine the relationship between faith and works. And the second is to really to, to explore the impact of our faith not only on us personally, but throughout this city and this world. Really, James really starts talking about how our faith can really come alive and how it can affect us personally, but also how our faith affects everyone else in our city, in, in our region, even our nation and the world. And so it, we're going to really talk about that because James starts talking about some really practical things. He talks about trials. He talks about poverty. He talks about riches. He talks about materialism. He talks about favoritism. He talks about social justice. He talks about the tongue and how, what to say and what not to say. He talks about how, do, how should we pray? What do we do with the sick? He talks about wisdom. He talks about all these practical, practical things all throughout the book. And so James is going to show us really how our faith literally comes to life in each one of these circumstances. And, uh, and that's all throughout the book of James. And I love that. And I'm really excited about how your faith, our faith here at Cornerstone Church, is going to even affect our city, Blue Springs, uh, Oak Grove, um, uh, Lee Summit, Independence, Grain Valley, all these, uh, even Higginsville for those who are there. Amen? And um, we're going to see God really move in this uh, time with us. So here in James chapter 1, verse 2, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to dive into this first chapter. We're only going to get to the first half. And he talks about trials and uh, temptations. Now, I'm, I'm going to really just focus on trials because really the root word on trials and temptations is the same Greek word, root word. One's a verb, uh, which is temptations, and one's a noun, which is trials and trial. But they really are basically a lot of times the same thing, and sometimes they come hand to hand. Because when you're in a trial, there's a lot of temptations to give up. How many's ever been tempted to give up? My hand's raised. Only a few of you. Great. You guys are perfect. Thank you. No, no, all of us have been tempted, but also there's temptation to sin, right? Too, during a trial. There's temptations that come on in that. So um, let, me, let me give you an example of this. Uh, how many of you um, love to go snow skiing in the Rockies? How many, how many like to go snow? How many just like to go to the Rockies? It's just beautiful. It's just a wonderful place. Okay, so somebody who wants to go to Colorado and goes to the Rockies, um, what is their trial? What is someone who wants to go snow skiing uh, in the Rockies, what is their trial from here, Kansas City, to go over there? Their trial is Kansas. Isn't that right? Kansas is our trial. It, it, it's supposed to produce uh, patience and perseverance, but it's a trial to go through Kansas, right? And I wish some of you that have that mountain-moving faith would get busy and move the mountains over here, move Kansas that way. That would be great, wouldn't it? So it's our trial. So you're going through Kansas. You've got to drive through Kansas to get to the, to the Rockies. And your goal is the Rockies, but your trial is Kansas. And during Kansas, you're tempted, aren't you? What are you tempted to do? To break the law. You're going to speed, aren't you? Right. How many has broken the law in Kansas? Just raise your hand. There's no cameras in here. You sinners. Amen. 
I could tell you a story about my daughter in Kansas, but I'm not going to because it's hurtful. But anyway, um, and her driving 100 miles in a 65. But anyway, that's another story. I'm still paying for that today. Anyway, and so basically when trials come, temptations come too. Okay, And I'm not going to get a lot into that. But I want you to understand this. I and mean, a lot of times when we read the book of James, we, we, we put these ideas and we into it that's not really there. The idea of um, trials, all these trials come from God. Or these temptations come from God. We really can't say that, okay? That's not what it's saying here. We're saying trials do come. And a lot of times, where does trials come from? Yourself. Because James goes on and he talks about that's your own evil desires that you're tempted. Remember the same Greek word that's the same as trials. A lot of times you screw up and that brings on the trial. Okay, And so my, my point today is, and really James' point, is not to talk about where the trials come from, come from. That's not really as important as how you deal with them. How you respond to the trials and to the temptations that come your way. Okay, and so let's dive into verse two. Let's go ahead and read there. James one verse two says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because uh, you know that the testing of your faith develop perseverance. Now, there's another thing that we think that God is testing us here. It doesn't say that. Now, it who knows? Okay, that's not the point. You're going to go through trials. How many have ever gone through a trial in your life? Everyone. How many has gone through more than one? How many goes through multiples throughout a day? I mean, sometimes. I mean, it's, it's like that trials come. So, uh, listen, when you read the Word and do the Word, don't make your own story. Don't make it up as you go, okay? Read what it says, and it doesn't just say that here, so we can't really say that that's what's happening. And I know there's some places in the Old Testament that, God, there is a testing. We see that Jesus tested people, but it wasn't with, with anything bad, okay? So let's go on. It says, Perseverance uh, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises in scorching heat and withers the plant, it blossoms, its blossoms fall, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be, be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we may be a kind of first fruits of 
all that he created. Now, there's a lot of stuff here, and I have a lot of notes, so get, get your notes out and just start taking notes right now. Here's the picture here in James 1. He's writing to a group of people who are mostly impoverished. They've been having been scattered and separated from one another as a result of persecution, and he's encouraging them. He's saying, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your problems, consider it joy. Now, listen, uh, be honest, let's take a step back. I, I, I may be the only one in here, but I, I really wish this wasn't in the Bible because it's not easy to consider it joy when you're going through a trial, right? But I really didn't really understand that before. So when somebody is coming to me and saying, Sean, um, you need to consider it joy, brother, that you're going through this, I just want to punch him in the mouth. That's Christian to do, you know. Somewhere it is. I'm not sure where. But that's not really the Bible, what the Bible is talking about. And this is really one of the most uh, profound, most crucial truths necessary for us to mature as, Christian, as a Christian in our lives. That this is not some emotional, flippant uh, happiness that we just flap, you know, slap on our face. It is uh, not even an emotion that he's talking about. It is a command. He says, consider it. It's a command. It's an imperative. He says, consider this. Consider it. Fix your mind on the fact that your trial you're going through, you need to consider it as pure joy. So what does it mean by that? That joy is really a complete joy. This is not a fake joy. This is a real joy. This is not saying you're happy and you're really not. This is a real understanding of joy that comes from in here that nothing else around you can mess with. And so he says, consider real joy. And so I want to encourage us, even when we think about trials, that we understand that it, it's something that we should learn and we should do, and it's a command to be joyful at the same time when you're going through trials. So how do we do that? So he says, so, so he says consider pure joy when you face trials of all kinds. So that's different kinds of trials. Small trials, big trials, minor trials, doesn't matter. It, many trials kinds of trials. And so a lot of times you're facing these every day. And so how do we do this? And this is where I want us to realize that James is showing us that trials in and of themselves are not a joy. He's not saying be happy because of the trial. But they are joyful when we place ourselves under the authority of God who will accomplish his purpose in our lives no matter what. You know, I heard this statement. I can't remember who said that. If, you, if, you, if you've heard it and know who, it's, who said it, let me know. But it says this. The story is not in your struggle. The story is in his rescue. Isn't that good? And a lot of times we want to talk about the, the problem. We want to focus on the problem. And really that pro, that what's happening is, is actually a temptation to focus on yourself. Woe is me. You know, how, how many guys are over 40 in here? How many guys remember in the 1970s? You know, um, uh, that, that show, Hee Haw. <laughs> you know, they used to sing that song, Woe is Agony, Agony on Me, whatever, whatever it was. Deep, dark, who, who can sing it? Deep, dark, depression. Excessive misery. That's, that's great. Yeah, Kevin, come up here and play a song a little bit. No. <laughs> but that's what we do when we focus on the trial. See, it's really the focus on God, and, 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 and this is what is being accomplished, no matter what. No matter if you made the mistake and you caused the trial, or your friend next to you caused the trial, the devil caused the trial, whatever. 
That's, not, that's really not the problem here. What's being accomplished is that we are going to learn to grow. If we're doing it right, we're taking joy. We're going to learn to grow in the likeness of God, to be like Him. He says, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah. So this is a purpose here in James 1. And it's really the whole purpose of the book of James. So that you and I may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And here's the deal. God's goal for our lives, all our lives, God's goal is that we mature in Him, that we become like Him. And every single one of us are going to stand before Almighty God one day. And we're going to stand before Him, and we're going to be mature and complete in Him because we're going to learn things on this earth. And when we get to heaven or He comes back or whatever comes first, that we're going to be able to stand because of what Jesus did and because of His power and His anointing, His grace, His enabling, His Holy Spirit... To be complete in Him. And this is the whole heart of what James is trying to get every one of us to learn. That God's goal in our life is to grow in His likeness. Now the problem comes in our lives when it comes to trials. That this is not our goal. What's our goal when it comes to trials? That we want to get out of it as soon as possible. Because it's painful, right? And that's what our goal is. Our goal is to fix it. How many guys are fixers? I want to fix it. The problem is, I may be the cause of what happened. And if I try to fix it, I just get it worse and worse. And see, that's our goal, is to get through this trial as quick as possible so I, don't, I can get back on track with what I was planning on for my life. The way I planned it, the best fit for my life. And if that's our goal in trials, then we're up for an endless frustration Endless anxiety, endless worry, and there will be no joy in the trial. If your, 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 your goal is just to get out of it and to fix it, you're gonna, it's going to be a problem for you because this is what happens. You try to fix it, and you get it really close maybe to what you want, but it's not exactly there, and you're going to be frustrated. And guess what's going to come around the bend? Another trial. And you haven't learned that trials come because there's an adversary the devil who's coming after you, does not like you, and there's people at Quick Trip that doesn't like you either. So there's something they're going to do. And the whole thing that God wants to do, and He knows this is happening, is that He wants us to follow Him. See, the whole part of a trial is that we should just focus on God. God should be our goal. Think about the trial in your life right now. It could be small, it could be major, But your goal probably is to get out of it more than anything. Is to change the situation. But if if that's your goal, you're gonna you're gonna be frustrated, and then the temptation is gonna come, right? Where you want to quit. You want to give up. God, and then you start blaming God. That's another temptation. Say, God, why are you doing this to me? But what would happen? If we make a change and we looked at the trial in our life, small, big, dark, devastating trials, and we looked at these things and we say, Lord, I know there's things I've got to deal with circumstantially. But more than anything, I want to know you in this process. 
This is a radically different way to live. In fact, it's, it's really a distinctively Christian way to live. Pure joy in trials. And the only way I can have pure joy in trials is not to focus on the trial, but to focus on God. To, to love Him, to get to know God even more, draw near to Him even more during this trial. So if I'm going through a trial financially, guess what I get to do? I get to know God as my provider. He is going to reveal Himself as my provider. And here's the deal. And you need to write this down. Trials are a joy when God is your goal. Trials are a joy when God is your goal. Man, you need to tweet that. That's good. When, when you're going through something, focus on God. That's the only way you're going to get through it with joy because you're going to begin to see Him. And guess what you see in God? You see the rescue. You begin to see where He wants to take you. He wants to bring you out of. It's like He is the light at the end of the tunnel. Follow it. So joy can happen when, in our trials when God is our goal. When we believe that the knowledge of God and the intimacy of God is supremely satisfying. He is all I want. He is all I need. Then trials, which cause us to trust Him, lean on Him, and pursue God, maybe they are really good for us. Because a thousand can fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand but no harm is going to come to you. Isn't that right? Remember the story of Meshach, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? What did they do? What was their goal? Was their goal to get out of the, um, the fiery furnace? No, it was to please God. The goal was Him. And guess what? He went in the fiery furnace with them. Jesus was there with them. And guess what? They came out of that fiery furnace and didn't smell like smoke. See, that's the goal for in any of your trials that you're going to come through it and you're not going to even smell like smoke at all. Because why? Not because you're trying to fix it. Not because every time you pray, you're just begging God, God, help me get out of this mess. It's because God, I want to know you. Yeah, these things, they're nothing. It's nothing. It's only, as Paul says, for a moment, Right? These light afflictions, isn't that what Paul says, are only for a moment? Why are they only for a moment? Because you don't care about them. You care about God. And I just, want to, I just want to know you, God. Yeah, I have these circumstances financially, God. Um, but you know what? You're my provider. And I'm going to trust in you. Now, if you're trying to fix your trials and make them right, that's not any much encouragement for you. But if you want to know God, you can have joy in this. You know, a couple couple uh, pages before this, in the end of Hebrews in chapter 12, it says, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who uh, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Um, how do you endure the cross with joy? Well, this is why. Because you know it's scorning, it's shame. And But there is coming a day that you're going to sit at the right hand of the Father God. See, God was Jesus' goal all the time. To please the Father. So if God's your goal, trials are a joy. Even the cross you can go through, it's a joy. So in trials, we learn to grow in His likeness. The second thing we have to learn is that we learn to trust in His wisdom. 
But look what it says in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, which is James telling us we're not there yet. He says we lack wisdom, so we ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Isn't that good? So if we ask for wisdom, we're going to get it. I saw this in a leadership book or article one time. I can't remember where, but it was talking about the three components of wisdom. And there's three components of wisdom. The first component is this, is knowledge. There is more knowledge uh, that we need. We always need knowledge. And the, wi- the more knowledge we have, the wiser we become. Because we make decisions and sometimes they're unwise because we don't have enough knowledge. How many has ever said this? If I just known this, then I wouldn't have made that decision. How many has ever said that before? Yeah, we've probably all done that. So there's knowledge and wisdom. The second thing is perspective. When we make a decision and it turns out to be wrong and we might have had a different perspective, we might have not made that decision. Because we don't have uh, the right perspective. We have limited perspective. The more perspective you have about a situation, the more wisdom you're going to have. And the third component is experience. Our wisdom grows with experience. The more we walk through things, the more we know, right? Isn't that cool? I mean, how many guys are parents in here? How many guys know that after your, you know, after your first child, you knew a little bit more about, about, um, about parenting, right? We really screwed up on our firstborn, haven't we? We really need to repent to them. Sorry. I, we, Lisa and I, you know, we, I told you a story. Someone gave us a book about on, on how the Amish parent their kids, and we had to repent to our daughter, Julia, later on. And that, sorry we did that. So it's experience. So here's the picture, is that we have limited wisdom because we have limited knowledge. We have limited wisdom because we have limited perspective. And we have limited experience because we haven't been through everything. And so we have limited wisdom completely. And here's one of the most glorious truths that we have in the Bible is here in James. It says, if you lack wisdom, ask of me and I'll give it generously, liberally, without finding fault to anybody who asks. Anybody who asks, that's God. His wisdom. He has all knowledge. All knowledge. There is nothing he doesn't know. He has never said, well, if I would have known that, I would have changed that. No, he's never done that. And he has total perspective. And not just the perspective of the present. He has eternal perspective. He knows how things are going to work out, not just today, but in the future. He knows every, every avenue. He's been there. He has infinite experience. He was and is and is to come. He, he is a God who has all knowledge. He has eternal perspective and infinite experience. And he's, he's opened the door for us. He says, ask me. And I'm going to give all that you need. Isn't that good? This is not a quick fix thing. But he's going to give you wisdom. When you, you are focused on God and God is your goal, then you're going to ask him wisdom. And he's going to download to you the wisdom you need to take you through to the other side of that trial. He's going to give you all the wisdom as you walk through this, and you're going to come out of it lacking nothing. Isn't that cool? The God of the universe has said to you, just ask me, and I'm going to give it to you. And he wants to give you wisdom. God is right here, right now, every single time, ready, in the middle of your trials. And he's saying this, and this is the picture. He says, draw near to me, focus on me. Don't focus to fix it. Focus on me and then ask me for wisdom. And I'm going to give it to you. Not just a little bit. I'm going to give it to you as much as you want. Amen? And see, when we learn to grow in his likeness, we learn to trust his wisdom. And the third thing we need to do is rely on his resources. 
Verses 9 through 11 are, are kind of interesting here. And it's kind of weird. They come out of nowhere. And you almost wonder, what's, what is he saying here? He says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. It's like, it says, what are you smoking, James? You know, why did he bring that in there? It just seems a little random. You're talking about trials and you're talking about brother in a humble circumstances. One who is rich. So what is he saying here? And I want you to see the relationship between the two because James is making it very clear. What we know, trials in his life have a leveling effect. And what they do is what he's saying here. He says, he says he's talking to these impoverished brothers and sisters, and they were experiencing that James says, boast in that your high position because you're learning to rely on the resources that only come from God. And then he turns to the rich person, who at that time was kind of taking advantage of the poor. And he says to them, be careful because trials will reveal the fact that your security and your safety is found in your stuff. It's found in your nice house. It's found in your nice car. It's found in your nice thing. It's found in your protection that you surround yourself with. It's found in your nice job. And he's saying that those things are going to fade away. And when they fade away, what are you going to trust in? Unless you trust in the resources of God. And we need to remind ourselves to rely on the resources that only God provides. So, when you're going through a trial, your, 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 your goal is God. And you're going to focus on Him. You're going to ask Him for wisdom. And you're going to rely on His stuff, not on your stuff. Because you know, all these other things, they're going to be gone away. In. So trials teaches us really to rely on the resources of God. That's where real faith is. If you're relying on what you have in your bank account, you're not really living in faith. Right? You look at your bank account, oh, it sounds great, it's good. But listen, a trial can come along and can wipe that out pretty quick. So where are you going to rely on? You know, it's like this, and I tell people about when we teach on faith. It's like the Popeye syndrome. You don't really start using faith until you're, you're beat up by Brutus. And so you start eating spinach then, right? Well, that's stupid. You should eat it all the time and beat him up as soon as he comes around. You should become the bully, right? And so what happens to us, we don't, we don't use our faith all the time. And what James is saying here, he says, he says, don't trust in anything out here. Trust only in Him. And have faith in Him. And believe in Him. And trials will teach us to rely on this resource. And finally we learn, the last thing, is we live for His reward. Look at verse 12. Blesses the man who perseveres under trial. Kind of sounds familiar. It sounds like the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, James, through all the book of James, he kind of references the Sermon on the Mount a lot. And I'll bring that out as we go through this. And, and so there's a numerous accounts of this. But he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now that crown of life, and a lot of times when we think about the crown of life, this is the reward. If you persevere in your trials, and there's many of them, and you persevere by, by keeping your focus on God and He's being your goal, by asking for wisdom and relying on His resources, and you persevere, you're going to attain the crown of life. Now, there's a couple other crowns in the Bible and the New Testament that talks about even as we persevere and as we follow the Lord that we're going to receive in this life and in the life to come. Crown of righteousness, 
crown of glory, the crown of crown of life. I mean, those those things. I mean, a lot of times we think it's this it's this gem studded crown, and we get and we get placed on our head like the kings of England did. And that's kind of the view, but that's not the view the readers were were thinking when he wrote this. They were thinking about a wreath that would be put around their heads after they had just won a race, and so the runner had or the the guy who's competing was just got through with it, and they're tired, and, and uh, they've just been through it, but they won the race, and it's a victory thing, and he places that crown on your head. But the crown of life, it doesn't say just crown of life, it's actually this. It's life itself. That's the crown. It's really not a physical thing. He gives you life itself. He gives you if it's a crown of glory, glory itself. If it's, if it's a crown of righteousness, it's righteousness itself. See, we receive so many things when we take joy in trials and in temptations. When we do those things and we walk in that, we receive, he says, a crown of life. We receive life itself. I don't know about you. I like life more than death. Right? And so when we focus on God and God is our goal and we ask for wisdom and he gives us that wisdom and we rely on his resources, we actually also have a reward. And that reward is life itself. It's righteousness. It's it's glory. It's his purposes and everything that he has for us. That is what we get in this. And we experience his abundance. And I want to encourage you that whatever trials you're facing, that you fix your eyes on God that he becomes your goal. You draw near to him, ask him, and just keep asking him over and over again to give you that wisdom that he has. And you rely on his resource and keep your eyes because you're going to receive a reward. And that's the great thing. That's why we can have joy. Now, now Jesus' joy at the end of his trial, at the end of the cross, was life. It's eternal life. But it wasn't just eternal life for him. It was eternal life for you and I. He rose again, and that's, that's the joy that he had set. And whatever trial you're going to, you've got to understand, this is the reward, life. So what is life in your trial? So if it's finances, what is life? Abundance. If it's relationship, what is it? Love. That's, that's, that's what it is. If it's sickness, what is it? What is it? Healing. Right? If it's, if it's worry... And fear, what is it? Peace and faith, that's great, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that great? If you're going through, through a trial where you're, all, you're depressed, it's joy, amen? But you, you take it by a step of faith, you step out and you step into that. Now look what James ends this part with. It's, it's really cool. Look at verse 16. It says, don't be deceived, my brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of, of the heavenly lights, who does not change like a shifting shadows. He chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. So here it is. We can trust in him. He's saying, you, you focus on it, make God your goal, you ask for wisdom, you rely on his resources, and you look forward to that reward, and you can trust him for that. That's the great thing. And you can rest and have peace in that, because 
He is a good God. It says that His goodness is unchanging. He does not change like the shifting shadows. Anybody here thankful that God does never gets in a bad mood? Never once. He doesn't change for the worse. And even cooler than that, He doesn't change for the better. Say, Sean, I thought it was, it was better to get better. Well, if God needed to get better, that means He's flawed. But He's not flawed. He is good. He is perfect. He is good. He is, he is better than anything. He can't get any better. He is infinitely good. And His goodness is unchanging. And we can trust in that. But also, His goodness is undeserved. He says He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That means He did it out of His love. And it's undeserved. This goodness that He gives us, we didn't deserve it, but He gave it anyway. And we can trust in that, that as I am going through junk, and I have personally been through junk, and you guys have watched the junk I've gone through. But I know that God is my goal. That I need wisdom from Him, and I'll get it from Him, because He's going to give it to me when I ask. And I'm going to trust in His resources. And I'm going to look forward to the reward, which is life. And I'm going to go after Him with all my heart. And I can, and I can trust in that because He is good and He never changes. And I love it says about the first fruits. The picture of the first fruits is this. It's a foretaste of what's to come. Isn't that good? It's, it's, it's the beginning. He wants to show you what eternity is like right now. He wants to give you that taste. So whatever trial you're going through, and I don't want to make light of it because, you know, it's hurtful. It can be painful. But don't look at it. Take joy in that God is your goal. And God understands it. And we may not know why you're going through it. And we can't make up excuses for it. It may be you. It may be somebody else. And it may be we just don't know. But we know that God is our goal. So focus on Him and allow the joy of the Lord, which is your strength, to fill you up. And rely on Him. Rely on His resources. Get His wisdom. And look to the reward, that crown of life. And He wants to bring life to your situation, even right now. And as I was praying this week, and I I I was asking the Lord, Lord, what is the word that you really want to tell the people after this message? And he says, some of you have been going through trials after trials, and it seems like it's a, it's, it's a forever thing. Whether it's relational, whether it's financial, whatever it is. And God says, do this. Change your thinking. Change the way you look at that trial. Let me be your goal. And even this week, you're going to see a change in that. How many of you guys want to receive that? Amen.